My waves get lost in the ocean. Seven billion swimmers, man, I'm going through the motions. Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hey, welcome to High Road to Humanity. This is Nancy Yerald, and I'm so excited. You guys, we have a fabulous show for you today. And, you know, if you have any friends who are having any kind of relationship issues or marriage issues, you need to call them right now and say, hey, turn on this show or share it with them. Um, It will be on iTunes a little bit later because today we have Charlie and Linda Bloom and they are psychologists, you guys. And what they did was they, they took what they learned in their own marriage, which is so awesome. And they shared it with us and they've written a wonderful book and they've written a bunch of books, but the one that we're going to talk about today is that which doesn't kill us. How one couple became stronger at the broken places. And man, this is in such need. And I'm just going to say, you know, there are so many people out there who get married and they don't take it seriously, or they say, you know what, I'm not going to try. I'm just going to go and I'm going to find somebody else. And man, they just teach us that you really love somebody and you're really committed. You can make it work if you really want to. So I'm just really excited about them being on our show today. And I'm going to read a little bit from their book. So you guys sit back and relax. This is from chapter three. And and let me tell you something else really cool about this book. And here's why I really liked it. Because Charlie, who is the husband, obviously, he gives his uh, take on the situation in one chapter. And then Linda, she comes back in the next chapter and she gives her take on the situation. So it's really interesting to see the male and the female version of what's going on here and, and the dynamics that it creates. So anyway, sit back and relax. This is called I Don't Remember Agreeing to This. And this is what Linda has to say. In desperation, I had sat Charlie down for a heart-to-heart talk during one of the infrequent times at home. I was in deep despair over the direction of our lives. Now, Charlie had taken a job out of town, guys, so let me preface that. For me, realizing how much of a stranger he had become was a pivotal point, and I told him so in pain and anger. Looking into Charlie's eyes after 15 years together, I said, Who are you? I don't know you. When I see the man you've become, I don't like you much. If I met you now, I wouldn't be attracted to you. I certainly wouldn't marry you. I fell in love with the laid-back, guitar-picking hippie. Who's this guy swaggering around in a three-piece suit? (laughs) Linda goes on to say he was spending his time building his career while I was home with the children, building resentment. I thought I had chosen so carefully a man who would be steadfast and faithful to me, a man who would turn down raises and promotions to be with his family and who would be devoted to the children. A man who believed in equality of the sexes and would share power equally with me. I was stunned to see him acting like a patriarch, declaring that he knew what was best for our family. For so many years, he had been the man I envisioned, and we had made very important decisions jointly. 
Now, in this new job, he had lost many of, uh, I had lost many of my rights. She says, I've been demoted to an inferior status. How could a person change so dramatically in such a short time? The man I had fallen in love with was gone. His shadow side, aggression, ambition, greed for power, selfishness, insecurity, and fear had taken over. I was seeing how ruthless and cold and manipulative he could be. How had we arrived at this point? How would we become so estranged from each other? Ironically, it all began with the personal growth seminars. After months of involvement, we were soaring with energy and vis visions of possibilities. Having gotten in touch with a powerful sense of myself, I felt capable of taking the big risk to go after my own dream, to move to California, to live in warm weather among people with similar values. Wow. That's some powerful stuff, you guys. And that's from the book, That Which Doesn't Kill Us. Now, let me give you a little information about Linda and Charlie before I bring them on. Um, they've been married since 1972. So 47 years these guys have been married. They've made it. And Charlie and Linda have been working with groups, individuals, couples, and organizations to enhance the quality of their relationships and communication skills since 1975. They both have master's degree in clinical social work and have lectured, led seminars, and provided consultations at universities and learning institutes throughout the United States, as well as internationally. They have written and published three books, Happily Ever After, and 39 Other Myths About Love, Breaking Through to the Relationships of Your Dreams, 101 Things Wish I Knew When I Got Married. Wow, that's a good one. Simple Lessons to Make Love Last, Secrets of Great Marriages, Real Stories from Real Couples About Lasting Love, and That Which Doesn't Kill Us, How One Couple Became Stronger in the Broken Places. Hey, Linda and Charlie, welcome to High Road. Delighted to be with you, Nancy. Oh, that was an introduction. <laughs> Brings back all kinds of memories. <laughs> thank, thank you, Nancy. It's great to be here. Oh, cool. I want to know something. How did y'all meet? Uh, we were college students in Boston way back in hippie days, you know, with bell-bottom pants, and we met in 1968, and we had a mutual friend who had a barbecue at his house, and I spied him across the room, and I went after him. <laughs> oh he was so attractive, and uh -huh. we've been together 50 years now. Oh, it is 50 years. Oh, well, congratulations and happy anniversary to you. Thank you. That's fabulous. Well, do you want to tell the audience, because, you know, you start this book out, and um, Charlie has taken a job, and you are left home with the three kids, and it's a difficult situation, and do you want to tell your story to the audience? Well, the part that you read was one of the very low moments, and if I had had any idea how long it was going to take until he left that consuming job, I would have been completely consumed with hopelessness and despair. Sometimes it's better if we don't know. We had had about 12 years together that were just, had, you know, were fairly normal. We had some difficulties. We managed them. But when he took this job and he fell in love with the job, 
do you know, and it required that we move across the country, and I was fine on that, and I supported that, but I really had no idea how much it was going to demand of him, that he was going to be on the road three weeks out of every month, that he was going to be commuting and flying all over the country, that he'd be working 80-hour weeks, and of course, I didn't have a, a support network here. I left all of my family and friends back on the East Coast, so I was in overwhelm. And I didn't have a clue that it was literally going to last for years. And it was a, just an enormous challenge to me to reach down deeper to find commitment, to find strengths I didn't even know I had, to find a deeper love and patience, to let him play it out until he could resign. It took five yeah. years till he got yeah. clear it was time to let go of that demanding job. Right. And that's what I think is so important to let the audience know. You see, and I read the book, and it was really good, you guys. Um, it it kind of had me on the edge of my seat. I was waiting to read the next chapter. But um, like Linda says, what's so cool is you, because, and, and I love how God works, because I believe this is how all this works, because Charlie took the job, and he was gone. It forced you to look within and it forced you to become the person you are today. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. And we both had a strong personal growth orientation. We right. believe in that which doesn't kill us makes it stronger. Right. And right. Boy, we, had to, we had to live it, do you know, to really see how ordeals that we pit ourselves against, challenges, can bring out the best in us. And not every marriage deserves to be saved. Do you know there really are some mismatched pairs? We were not a mismatched pair. We just had to go through this ordeal because Charlie wanted to develop himself professionally, and it required so much of him that he wasn't much of a family man during that climb for professional success. Right. But it, I, I love how this worked out because you became, and, and I look at it, I guess, since I'm a woman, I looked at it from the woman's point of view. Um, instead, you know, you would, he would not be home and you would be so upset. And, and, and I saw a lot of myself in this years before where I would be so upset because my husband would travel and I would say, where have you been? And I'm here by myself. And, you know, but then you changed it. You turned it all around and you started to live your own life. And then when he came home, that was a good, a good thing because you were able to forget all that negative stuff. And you just went for the positive, which really brought your relationship back, didn't it? You're absolutely right. Without the, the deep uh, spiritual practice that I did, particularly with forgiveness meditation and metta, loving kindness meditation, right. we, we could not have made it. I had some really good help from some wise people who were, you know, much more advanced spiritually than I, and they taught me about forgiveness meditation and I took it on and I really practiced it to allow him to play this out, to allow him to be, you know, lost from the family for a large segment of time and to forgive him and to purposefully focus on the beauty that he was rather than all the things that were missing during that time. And that, that really held me in good stead, because right. it was it was a long ordeal. 
Right. No, I'm with you. And the thing is, we've got about one minute here before we've got to go to break. But Charlie, did you see the difference in her after she started her spiritual work? I mean, were you able to see, you know, wow, she's changed. She's not on my tail so much anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't exactly um, a dramatic, sudden, um, radical change. It was, okay. it was it was gradual because you know that's what <laughs> spiritual practice um, can be um, right. an incremental process. Although there can be often there is an event that triggers the process itself, mm-hmm. and um, in, in this case, the event was um, a, a profound interruption in the, the context of the family community that we had co-created for years and right. that's what was the impetus to 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 make this change and um at, at like linda says at first it, it required some adjustment but um you know it, it was pretty obvious session for free to get you on your high road Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com. about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bonafide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinarian Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become Bruxel maniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A Bruxel maniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. 
This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to The High Road. Hey, welcome back to High Road. And we have today Charlie and Linda Bloom with us. And their book is That Which Doesn't Kill Us. And Charlie and Linda, where can everybody get your book and give us your website? How can they get in touch with you? www.bloomwork. B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K. It's singular, not Bloomworks. Bloomwork.com. And when people come to our website, there's free ebooks for them, and our four published books are all there. And sometimes people like to get signed by the author, and so they can get them from us by emailing me. And you know, they're they're on Amazon, they're in people's local bookstore. If the local bookstore doesn't have them, they can get it for them in a few days. That's fantastic. Thank you for letting us know. You know, before the break, we were talking about, um, Linda, we were talking about you. Before we flip over to Charlie, I just want to mention to the audience, you know, um, and we were talking about a forgiveness meditation that Linda learned. And I don't know... Um, how you do your meditation or if you want to share it. But a few weeks ago, we had uh, Patty Conklin on the show and she taught us a forgiveness meditation. And I do that. And I taught it to my husband and I've taught it to my kids. And the reason that this meditation is so powerful, y'all, is because every day, I mean, things happen and we're just human. And sometimes we just need to forgive people. And what was your meditation like? Would you mind sharing that with us, Linda? I'm happy to share it because I feel like it's a profound tool. It's so useful. I learned it from Stephen Levine and his wife, Andrea Levine. And they have you sit quietly where you won't be interrupted and just quiet your mind down as much as you can. And then you hold yourself in your own heart. You call yourself by your own name. And you bring to mind things that you have done that you feel you need to be forgiven for. And you enumerate those things with detail. And you call in a person that you feel has neglected you or betrayed you or violated your trust or broken an agreement, someone who has harmed you. Maybe intentionally, more likely it's unintentional, and you call them by name, and you hold them in your heart, and you enumerate the specifics of what you're forgiving them for. And sometimes when you do it, it's quite a reach. And my one of my meditation yeah. teachers says it's okay to act enlightened until we get enlightened. It's just yeah. a spiritual twist on the fake it till you make it. Yeah, but there you go. That's a, sometimes people are hard to You have to do it a lot of times because yeah. it's not like eating once and for all. You know, you nibble away at it a little bit at a time. And it isn't excusing the person that harmed you. And it's not excusing yourself if you've caused harm. But it is lightening the energy so that you don't have to carry that heaviness and that grudge in your heart. Right. And that's exactly what it does. It changes the energy. So everybody out there understands when you change the, like when Linda changed how she approached Charlie, how she changed, you changed yourself. And when you that's did right. that, yeah, you changed the dynamic in the, in the relationship and you changed the energy. And in turn, he changed, which is crazy. And now Charlie, I'm going to talk to you about what you did because 
I can see myself in you. I was a real estate broker for years and years and just really wanted to be the greatest. Although you were going after humanity, which is nice. It still wasn't, it was still uh, an ego thing, right? Am I correct? I hate to say that, but it's true, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, it's okay that you said it. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. I think we all have egos and I think the ego serves a very important function. Um, in my case, uh, uh, I unfortunately let the ego r run the show for uh, too long, and instead of being my servant, I, I became the ego's servant. But um, yeah, I, that, that was definitely an aspect of my motivation <clears throat> for doing the work that I was doing. I, I, I like to think that it wasn't the biggest, but it was certainly a, a big factor. Well, yeah, because you wanted to accomplish the goal of being a, a good leader, and those those were things that you wanted to achieve in business, and and I can totally relate to that, and I, I guess I can relate to you because I got into real estate, and I was like, oh, it's all about me, and la 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 la, and then you get you get to a point where you're like, oh. It's not all about me. And, oh, and then you start to grow. And that happened to you. There was an aha moment. What happened to you that, because you did this with this company, you were a, um, a trainer, correct? Yeah, I was. How long um, did you work um, as a trainer? Uh, I was um, a full-time trainer there for a um, little over five years. And then um, I was, um, <clears throat> after I quit, I was a, um, a, uh, a consultant them for one year so um yeah i mean it was it was heavy duty gas that i was under and um you know uh it was we were all every all of us in the trainer body were convinced and reinforcing each other's belief that we were doing uh the important work of lifting the consciousness of <laughs> the whole world other than that it was no big deal you know um but uh, yeah, we were we were all smitten with this incredible sense of, of purpose, and um, and what really complicated it for me and for for all of us, I think, in the training department is that the uh, the students who were in the trainings were kind of uh, encouraged to relate to us as uh, like supreme beings almost. And um, <clears throat> it was very heavy-duty ego inflation that we were Im not only important, but we were essential players in this game of enlightenment and that we had privy to some very um, important esoteric information for people. And, and that's how we were viewed by the, the students in the class. So... Um, that can understandably cause some difficulty when you come home to um, a family that is in um, chaos sometimes because they haven't gotten this sort of, you know, there's been one essential player that's been missing from the equation for a week or two. And, and the, the, the family is just kind of struggling to basically get by. And now, I'm, I'm going from hero to zero um, right. and feeling overwhelmed myself. Right. So that was the dynamic that we were living in for several years. And it took, as you can imagine, an incredible toll. I would oh. imagine. I want to ask you two questions, two things that really um, 
and you can answer them however you want, but one is, are these guys still doing this? And secondly, when did you realize that this wasn't the real deal? I, I knew fairly early on that there was a real shadow side to the company that okay. I worked for. It was, okay. it was pretty obvious to me. Why didn't you um, walk away? Why didn't you say, hey, I'm not feeling this? Um, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but the, the answer to that question is that I was so filled with arrogance yeah. that I thought that I could change the company by oh. operating from a different place. Fact, I right. saw the I hypocrisy. I saw the downside. I saw the shadow side. And in my arrogance, I believed that I could influence the culture of the company. I mean, is that crazy or what? But that's where I was. I was delusional. Uh, you thought, yeah, and that's okay. But when, and then what really triggered? Because you tried to quit. I read your book, and you quit. Yeah, like, I did. I, um, yeah. I, I, I tried to quit three times. The first two times, I was um, I was made offers that uh, addressed my grievances, and so I I stayed. And then the last time I quit, um, when I was when I had this. Revelation. I mean, it was nothing short of a revelation of biblical proportions of seeing what the cost had been to my family, to my marriage, and to myself in having been consumed with this passion to fulfill this vision that I had of being a, a, a culture changer that... Uh, I saw what it had cost me and Linda and and the family, and and at that moment I had it was if you re, you you know what I'm talking about because you you read the book. But in that moment, uh, I realized I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And 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 I turned to Linda in that moment, and I, it was very emotional for me. I turned to her, and I said, "It's over." I remember those two words. It's over. It's the nightmare is over. over. And I saw that it had been. Yeah, nightmare. I think you said, that was the beginning of a new chapter. Yeah, you took a bike ride. Um, we've got like one minute to go here till break, but you yeah. took a bike ride across country down um, Pacific Coast Highway. I thought that was really cool, and that really cleared your mind and, and gave you a different perspective. Yes. Yeah, that was one of the big things that really helped me to mm -hmm. see clearly what um, what I hadn't seen when I was you know, possessed in my ego. Um, right. And, you know what? And, and it also transforms me physically, too. Well, yeah, all that stuff affects you physically. True. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I really see when I, uh, from an outsider looking in here before we had to break is that I see that it was a blessing for you as well because you went through five years of working for this company. But in the end, you realized what was important to you and you ended up coming back to your wife and your family and you had that aha moment. So it was like you came full circle and you you got back to where you should be and you appreciated what you had. Correct. No, no, that's absolutely true, and that was 31 years ago, and I haven't lost that clarity since then. That's wonderful. I'm living you guys, in that awareness and that understanding, that understanding. the last 31 well, years. 
We'll be right back with Charlie and Linda Bloom, and their book is called That Which Doesn't Kill Us, How One Couple Became Stronger at the Broken Places. And thanks, you guys, for tuning in. And like I said before, if you have a couple that needs some help, share the High Road to Humanity, but make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download directly from Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, so you never miss an episode of The High Road. It's Merging Why does music give us chills? Goosebumps, or the medical term peripolation, occurs while listening to music. That's because music stimulates a reward pathway in the brain, encouraging dopamine to flood the striatum, a part of the forebrain activated by addiction, reward, and motivation. Melomaniacs or passionate music lovers can get the chills from songs they are familiar with as they anticipate that long-awaited chord at the climax of the piece. Music, it seems, affects our brains the same way that chocolate gamma and potato chips do. I think I may need to stick to chocolate and potato chips because I tried piano lessons and I felt like a goose noodle. What's a word for a person who dislikes practicing the piano? A mesodactylist. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hey, welcome back to High Road, and this is Nancy out And we are so blessed to have such wonderful guests. I was just telling our guests today, Linda and Charlie Bloom, how I'm so blessed to have such wonderful people in every show the guests bring me information, and I learned so much from you guys. I'm appreciative, but I will promote my own book today. If you guys are interested, pick up my book. It's at Barnes & Noble, and it is at Amazon.com. It's called Wake Up. The universe is speaking to you, and it's my story, and I talk about energy. And also, you guys, I'm bringing on some advertisers on my show. So if you know somebody who would want to advertise on High Road to Humanity, just go ahead and email me, Nancy Yearout. That's N-A-N-C-Y-Y-E-A-R-O-U-T at gmail.com. Okay, and we are back with Charlie and Linda Bloom. And I want to talk about, Charlie and Linda have an organization, and it's called Bloom Works. And Linda started telling me before the, uh, during the break how all the stuff that Charlie learned in his five years of this um, as being a um, like a motivational speaker and th- that he taught you, Linda, these things. So can you expand upon that, please? I'm happy to do that. You know, he was talking about the dark side of the company and what a workaholic he was then and how ego inflated. But in all fairness... The trainings and the workshops that that company put on were splendid, and they were very powerful. And he got training there that isn't available anywhere in the world. And so when he finally disengaged from the company and he he gave his resignation, we started our own business and could take some of the best of what he learned there and combine that with some things that we knew to be true about preserving the well-being of the couplehood, making that the highest priority, and 
we started to weave in our own touches, you know, that we had learned from our spiritual teachers and designed our own courses. And, of course, we were in charge of our schedule so that um, we were building our own dream, not somebody else's dream. But I do have a debt of gratitude to the company, as difficult as it was during that time that he was working there. Um, we both learned a lot, and it still lives on in the work that we do today, you know, in the counseling we do, in the couples counseling we do, in the workshops that we teach, in the blogs that we write, in the books that we write, in the intensives that we offer. So um, we were able to take the best from that company and utilize it. Right. And it's so interesting because I see your situation. I mean, so many people are in this kind of situation with the world today where maybe one of the partners has to go off and work and, and the other person is left alone. And it's hard. It's difficult. I mean, life is not easy. And reading your book, it just really motivated me. I mean, even though, you know, I, I know these things, it was just like a reinforcement saying, hey, you know, um, center yourself. This is time to work on yourself. And, and that's good advice for other people. Don't you think if you're in this situation, just work on yourself, let your partner do what they have to do. And cause I always think, and, and just like we were talking before, everybody's got their own lesson to learn. And sometimes it's hard to let our partner learn their lesson. Do you know what I mean? It's lessons and patience and forgiveness. Big and I know that I grew strengths during those ordeals that I never would have been motivated to learn if I hadn't been brought down to my knees. And I had a passion to complete this book. It took a long time for us to finally put it out there in the world because it is such vulnerable, shadow material, shadowy material. But, you know, I had a passion to write it because I really wanted to awaken some of the, the young couples these days about what level of commitment is required to get through the rough patches because every couple will have some. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, you guys are both psychologists. You're both, you know well-educated, and this is what you do, and, and it was, you struggled. So if you struggled, you know, everybody struggles. But the cool thing is you've given us some really good information as far as how to keep your marriage together. And you say, like, every marriage isn't going to work, but you two truly loved each other, and you still do, and you can tell that. Yeah, I'm still crazy about him after all these years. And you know, there were times yeah. it was hard to see the beauty in him. I had to really reach for it. But even in the dark times, there are always those things to be grateful for. And if we can focus on those things, it helps us to get through. Yeah, and there's another part in your book. Linda's going to love this. I'm going to read something from both, about both of you wrote it. It's towards the end. And it's like when they come together. And Linda says, I live to see the day when I receive all the love I desire. I'm stuffed to the gills. Participating in something transpersonal, larger than myself, gives me a sense of personal power, centeredness, connection, and understanding. The love I experience is so vast that the narrow channel must widen to allow the love to flow into the world. So that's the place that you got to. 
Yeah, I lived to see the day. It was pretty scary there. Do you know yeah. when Charlie was a flaming workaholic, I thought he was going to drop dead of a heart attack. Then when he finally resigned, I had a the life-threatening illness. I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it looked pretty scary there for a while. But we're both in terrific health, and really, this is this is harvest time for us. This is reaping the benefits of the good work that we did, the hard work that we did, and we're really enjoying our career and our kids and our grandkids and friendships and our family, extended family, and our family of choice. So there's tremendous payoffs, and sometimes we have to earn our way into a partnership that's this golden. And you did. I mean, you truly did. That's exactly what you guys did. You totally, you know fixed yourselves. You worked on yourselves. And I always tell people that if you're not good yourself, how can you be in a relationship? But both of you actually took the time, which a lot of people don't do. And you thought, okay, how can I be better? What can I do? And then you guys came together and that's like so wonderful. You know, one of the questions that we, we get in doing the work that we do um, with couples, and of course we don't do it just with couples, but um, the, the question that comes up frequently, you know, it is um, what is it that um, I can do um, that to work on this relationship to improve it? And, and the question, the answer that we always provide people with is just do your own work and don't worry too much about fixing the relationship. It's really not about working on the relationship. It's about doing the work that you need to do to uh, to diffuse some of those old beliefs and those old practices, those defensive patterns that get in your way of living with an open heart, that prevent you from being the loving person that you know you are, to do the work that you need to do. Don't worry about whether or not your partner is doing their work. That's their responsibility. You just stick to doing what you need to do. And we guarantee people, and there's not a lot we guarantee people about, but this is one guarantee we make, that if you, if you do that, one of two things is going to happen. You are either going to reach a point where your, your partner does not join you in this process and it becomes intolerable for you to continue because you've really given it your best shot and things aren't happening. And at that point, you know, you might have to reconsider whether or not this relationship is salvageable. Or the other thing that will happen, if that doesn't happen, is that you will see changes in the relationship itself that are positive. Your partner will join you in this at some point. They may not do it right away. It may not be a sudden overnight shift, but you will feel the difference. You'll notice it. You'll be able to see it. You'll experience it, but just focus on doing your work, and you're going to need some support in that process. So get some good support. Could be from friends. Could be from people who are further along uh, on your on the path than you are. Could be a professional person. But we always remind people that support is an essential aspect of this process. We couldn't have done it without support. Right. Now you have you have children. You have three children, right? We have a son and a daughter and three grandsons. 
Oh, three. Oh my gosh, you guys are busy. Yes, I have grandchildren too. Aren't they wonderful? <laughs> yeah, we're having a good time. Wednesday <laughs> afternoon is the day we take care of them. We pick them up at school and play Scrabble and take them to baseball practice and all their track meets and all those things. We've been doing that for 11 years. Oh, it's fantastic. My husband and I take the grandkids camping, and that is uh, some of our funnest um, moments is with the grandkids. It seems like when you get older, you appreciate the little ones even more. So that's wonderful that you guys do that. You know, um, you talk about different uh, getting help. What do you guys do now? Do you you have a counseling business? Uh, do people come and see you? Do you do groups, or, or what do you do now? We teach at Esalen Institute at Big Sur. And we teach at Kripalu, the yoga center in the Berkshire Mountains. And the brand-new personal growth center in Scotts Valley, California, is just about 25 minutes from our house. So we guest teach. We also have people fly in from out of state who spend a day or two doing an intensive in our home with us, which is like a workshop geared just for them and their needs. And we do counseling with people by Skype, by Zoom, by phone, and sometimes in person. So we have a lot of ways that we interface with people, our books, our blogs. We do Facebook Live, and they're all on archived in Facebook and up on YouTube. So people mm-hmm. can take advantage of the things that we have out there in the blogosphere and, and you know, all this tech stuff is available to them. Right. I just think it's wonderful um, that you guys have, you learned this, God taught you, and now you turned around and you taught other people about this. Now, your kids, do they, they learned, obviously, they saw you go through this, and it changed them, I would imagine. Yeah, and you know what? I think that every person has their own journey, and I really thought that by modeling, having a blended relationship with the children um, would hold hold them in such good stead that they would have an easy time of it. But what I'm finding is that everybody has to find their own way. Right. That's true. Well, we all have our own lessons to learn. And, you know, even though there's times where I want to help my husband, I say, oh, just keep your mouth shut. Let him do his own thing because he's got his own lessons to learn and I have mine. And that's hard to do sometimes because oh, yeah. you want to help the people you love. But, um, you know, well, we he helps the best me with this kids. one. He reminds me no unsolicited advice. I love it. <laughs> oh. that, is, that is really, really cool. We've got about one minute um, to break here. What, um, What's some good advice that you could give people who are going through this right now to just go ahead and start working on themselves spiritually? Is that what you is that what you think, Linda? I really think it's important to find a good therapist, and you might have to go through a few until you find somebody who you really resonate with, who who you feel is really trustworthy. And I always encourage people, if it's a relationship issue, do not be shy to ask the therapist whether they are in a partnership themselves and have experience in this domain. Uh, Sometimes people think that's too intrusive, but you want to make sure that somebody knows the territory. Thanks, to sign up for her intuitive personal coaching program or to book a psychic reading. Kids from Oklahoma, man, we don't 
Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Ever get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Vitzel souped. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hey, it's Nancy Urell, and I'm here today with Charlie and Linda Bloom. And like I said before, if you know somebody who's having relationship issues, tune into the show, share it with them. It's a good one. And um, their book is called That Which Doesn't Kill Us. And um, we were talking on the break, and I want to bring this up, that all these young people are getting married, and they're having these huge weddings. I was telling Linda, I've been to several of them, and you know, the girls got on the tiara and we've got 12 bridesmaids and we've got all these groomsmen and they're doing these big to do's, but it's almost like it looks good on the outside, but for some reason it doesn't feel like there's any meat, like there's any, like there's a good connection. And that's what we're here talking about is the connection. Can you, and you were telling me that you saw uh, something in Vogue that talks about marriage. Can you share that with us, Linda? This is the first time in the history of the United States that there are more single women than married women. And that's historic. And I don't think it's necessarily a good trend. I think that marriage is going out of vogue. And my take on it is that so many of the men and women today who are coming up to marriageable age have had families 
who broke up. And the divorce was so traumatizing to those kids that when it comes time to make a commitment themselves, they want to prevent having some kind of an ugly divorce. And they think that one of the ways that they can prevent having a nasty divorce is to not get married at all. So I'm concerned about that, that too many people have their foot in the back door. I'll just live together. We'll do casual. We'll cohabitate. We won't really make a full commitment. And when it gets hard, I'm out of here. Because I think they're missing an extraordinary opportunity to strengthen their commitment muscles, which I think is such an important part of the strength of making a relationship a great one. Well, yeah, because once you're married, I mean, you have to. It makes you. You've committed. You've made that step. You've made that commitment. You said, okay, I'm going to try. And it's, it's harder to just walk away. Yeah, that that's the C word, you know, commitment. Um, and I, I think it's highly underrated by a, a lot of people. They, they don't really take that on in the spirit with which that word has meaning. Right. They, um, th- th- there's a strong tendency, I'm not generalizing about everybody, but for an awful lot of us, there's a tendency to view um, marriage as uh, something that, that is conditioned upon whether or not we're happy. And that if we come to a point where it's not fun anymore, um, it's really easy to assume that, I guess, you know, I'm not with the right person because for, for many people there's this un, un, underlying belief that um, – If we really love each other, then we really should be happy all the time. And if we're not, and if we get into trouble and we're struggling and it's hard, that that must mean that we're not meant to be together. It's the struggles, though, right, Charlie, that really make us stronger and bring us closer together. That's why we titled the book uh, How One Couple Became Stronger at the Broken Places. And we're not saying that you have to go through suffering in order to learn. But um, I've learned some very important lessons, <laughs> uh, having pleasurable experiences too. Right. But but because of this belief that it shouldn't have to be hard, people ask us, why do relationships have to be so hard? They seem to be so challenging. And our answer to that is because they require two simultaneous contradictory things at the same time. And one is... You've got to be able to put aside your own self-referentiality and put mm-hmm. aside your own self-desires sometimes in favor of being in service to another person, to be willing to put those preferences aside for the sake of the relationship. And at the same time, you've got to take really good care and make your own well-being a high, high priority. That's right. challenging to do both of those things at the same time. And yet, if we don't take care of both sides of that equation, the personal and the interpersonal, then we're going to have a very difficult time. But we've got to develop the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. It takes work. work. 
It takes work. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it actually takes work. And I agree with you that a lot of people have had divorced parents and they think, oh, my God, I don't want to go through what they went through. And, and you know, that's been a bad deal. But, you know, marriage is, is supposed to be and I, I take it very uh, uh, Let's say I don't want to get into a whole religious thing, but, you know, um, it's a sacred. It's a sacred commitment to each other. And it's a loving commitment to each other. And I think if people could be more compassionate towards each other and more loving and maybe bite their tongues a little bit, then <laughs> that's my advice. Um, because, you know, you have to be compassionate of the other person. And, you know, I think the give and take isn't always there. Um, maybe, maybe these kids have watched too many television shows where things aren't real, if that makes any sense. It does make sense, and I think people have a lot of false beliefs about what a partnership requires of them. And it's one of the reasons we wrote the book about myths, you know, the, the book number three, is to try to dissolve some of these limiting beliefs that people have that put a ceiling on how far they can really go in their evolution as an individual and as a couple. And, you know, Charlie and I, we both love our work. So the, the word work is not a downer for us. It's uplifting. So when we talk about work, doing the work of relationship and working on yourself, we have an uplifted attitude about the word. I sometimes refer to it as a labor of love to try to sweeten it up a little bit, that it doesn't have to be arduous all the time, but that there is going to be a bonanza of benefits from strengthening your communication skills and your negotiation skills and your conflict management skills and also developing the qualities that each of us uh, may have a weak suit in courage to bring up the tough, tough issues and patience and tolerance and self-discipline to keep our mouth shut from time to time and not blurt things out. These are all opportunities to use what the relationship tosses up for our own evolution to move towards self-actualization and i just don't i just don't um like it when people waste that opportunity so i'm inviting your listening audience to take it on as a growth opportunity Oh, it's definitely a growth opportunity. I mean, look at you two. I read the book. Charlie grew so much. You grew so much. And then look at what you've done. You created Bloomworks, which is a fantastic organization in your own business and, and did your own thing. And look how happy you guys are. Aren't you glad you stuck it out and, and didn't walk away? I live in gratitude for that every day of my life. I mean, just reading it, because, I mean, you guys were to the point where you were ready to get a divorce. You were like, but I think, Linda, you held it together, Charlie. Is that right? More than more than you did, because you were off doing your thing, and Linda was like the glue. Isn't that what you said? Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely true. And had it not been for her incredible commitment and vision to see that we could make it, even though both of us had our doubts at time. There's no doubt in my mind that my commitment was not strong enough to sustain us and we wouldn't be together now. Um, but um, she not only held the marriage together when it was hanging by a thread, but she 
ignited within me the same commitment to the uh -huh. relationship and to the marriage. The desire. So, yeah, right. So, so for the last 30 years, we have been sharing that together. She's no longer the sole bearer of the responsibility for the relationship. And I know that in a lot of relationships, it's one person, often the woman, who is carrying that weight, and that gets to be oppressively overwhelming uh, over time. You can't do it indefinitely. You can't do it alone. I was able to do it to carry the commitment for two for a while, and right. fortunately, Charlie picked up his level of commitment just as I was getting exhausted and ready to give up. And that's when you both came together. Yeah, and yeah. that's what creates the beautiful relationship with both people are manifesting the vision and holding the vision and working towards that with a full-hearted commitment. Right. And and it changes everything. It changes the dynamic, and then the love is back, and, and, you know, the intimacy is back. We've got about two minutes left, but what else can you guys – you've given us so much good information today. I feel terrible asking you, but what else can you <laughs> tell the audience? Just some small tip that might help um, a couple. I want to speak to – our definition of commitment is a bit different than sometimes people think of commitment. They think about okay. making a commitment at the marriage ceremony till death do us part, and okay. included in that is if it kills me, and we don't believe in that kind of commitment. <laughs> we believe in the commitment to the process of using what comes up, particularly okay. the differences in style of being in the world, uh, differences in the ways people process information, um, sometimes even values differences, then that that's a lot of really good grist for the mill to learn about yourself and to develop yourself. So that commitment sometimes doesn't feel so stifling, you know. There's plenty of room and there's plenty of air to believe, but it still is a strong, fierce commitment, though. Okay, well, listen, we've got about one more minute, and I just think it's um, it's wonderful that you've shared all this with, with us, and and basically you're saying it's how you handle the situation, and, and I think um, we learn to handle things a little bit better as we grow, but listen, you guys, if you want to get um, this book, I suggest it if you're having any kind of relationships issues, even if you're not, this will make your relationship stronger, and it's called That Which Doesn't Kill Us, and it's Charlie and Linda Bloom, and, you know, you can get in touch with them. Um, they do have a wonderful website. It's Bloom Work. And thanks so much for joining us this week, you guys, on High Road. Um, I hope you learned something from this. And we'll see you next week. We've got Joseph Gallenberger here next week, and he's going to tell us how heaven is for healing. So thanks again for joining us. Take care. For more stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. To sign up for my intuitive life coaching or a psychic reading, visit my website, www.nancyyearout.com. My email address is nancy at highroadtohumanity.com. So have a fabulous week and know that by staying on the high road, you will make it to your destination.